Hey, ebook readers, right now, the Flight Attendant Joe series ebooks are only $2.99. That's Fasten Your Seatbelts and Eat Your Fucking Nuts, Flight Attendant Joe, and I'm Just Here for the Layovers on Amazon, iTunes, Nook, and Kobo, $2.99 each. Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe. Before we get started, I want to thank you all for listening to the podcast, for downloading, for subscribing, for leaving iTunes reviews, for hitting me up on social media, telling me how much you're enjoying these conversations. I really appreciate it. It's because you guys are listening that I have this platform that I can actually have conversations with people. I can learn from these people and so can you and I really appreciate it. Most of the guests that I have on so far... I've known or I know a lot about. This guest, my guest today, Stephanie, I didn't really know much about her except a few interactions on social media. But when I'm interviewing somebody that I've never met, I'm learning about them just like you are while you're listening. And I find that to be so exciting. And this conversation went in a way that I had not expected, which I find to be so refreshing. You know what? I'm going to let you guys listen to it. First of all, Stephanie makes me feel like a lazy bum. (laughs) She's a writer. She's writing a novel. She also has a blog called Spread Joy Further. Her and her husband sold basically everything they own in Southern California, moved to the Pacific Northwest and live on a sailboat. And they detail their life on that sailboat on a YouTube page called Life at Six Knots. They're wedding photographers. She's an ex-flight attendant who was in the back one day and thought, you know what, why am I serving nuts when I could be up flying the plane? And now she's studying to become a pilot. We talked about fear and failure and how she used to be afraid to fly, which I was afraid to fly. But then she shared so much more about how fear has really controlled her throughout her life. And we had, it was like therapy in this episode. Ladies and gentlemen, Welcome, Stephanie, to the show. Hey, Stephanie, welcome to Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe. I'm so happy you could call in. Hi, Joe. Yeah, thanks for having me. How are? How's everything going up there in the Pacific Northwest? Everything is great. Everything's going Um, well? Good. Everything's going great, yeah. I, um, you know... I'm so envious of your life. Now, have you ever seen the movie Romancing the Stone with Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner? Have you ever seen that movie? I have. It's been a long, long time, though. Well, she plays Joan Wilder. She's a writer. And at the end of the movie, you know, they fall in love after all this chaos and craziness. They fall in love and then they end up living on a sailboat and she's writing on a sailboat. And then the next movie, Jewel of the Nile starts and she's writing on the sailboat and she throws her typewriter into the water. And I always loved that movie. And I always thought that looks so romantic to be a writer and live on a sailboat. But I bet you it's not all what I think it is. I live on the boat with my husband and our dog and we actually really love it. I mean, yeah, it has its moments where it gets a little tight and um, the dog gets under our feet more, I think, than we get in, under each other's feet. But, you know, we've taken it out for, you know, a couple of weeks on the San Juans or in the South Sound. And it, I mean, it really is just to, to anchor in a cute little bay somewhere and, you know, spend your evenings drinking Manhattans and mm. watching the stars. And oh, it's, sucks. I mean, there's definitely, um, you know, romantic things about it. But at the same time, it's still you know, our home. So when we're back at the dock and 
you know, living normal life. It's kind of just like a really small house. So it's like living in a tiny home. How often do you guys take it out on um, little adventures? Um, we try to as often as we can, but it's, I mean, in the wintertime, I guess you call us fair weather sailors. Uh, when, you, when you're talking about taking your home out into weather, it's not quite as exciting, I don't think, as, you know, if it was just a recreational boat. But we, you know, we try and get out three or four times or whatever on bigger trips during the summertime and whenever the weather's nice and day trips here and there. We like to, um, you know, when friends want to go out and spend a day sailing, we will pack a picnic and usually do like uh, around Bainbridge Island and come back. So that's, a, that's probably about a four or five hour, you know, sail if we just do it. We can stretch it to a, a fun day for people to go out. Now, do you find when your friends come, so so you guys, did you used to live in California and then you moved up to um, the Seattle area? Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. So, we both grew up in California. Oh, nice. I lived, I lived in the Bay Area for seven and a half years. So when friends come, though, yeah. is there this expectation that, hey, take us out on the sailboat? And then you're thinking, oh, this is my house. This is a lot more work than if it was just <laughs> the dinghy that we're taking out. Yeah. I mean, you know, it usually takes us probably a good 45 minutes to get everything ready because, you know, it's not just like let's clean up because companies coming over. It's well, what's going to fly, what's going to break if it flies, or what's going to break something else if it flies. Because, you know, when you're sailing, the boat feels over. Right. Kind of tips to the side. So everything just kind of goes down into, you know, that lower side. Um, so it took us a little bit to, to figure out, you know, the right, what can fly, what cannot fly without damaging itself or others. And, yeah, it probably takes about 45 minutes to get everything together. So when people, you know, want to go, people don't often ask to go sailing oh that's oh, usually interesting. you know interesting they'll usually hem and haw and you know make some kind of you know hints that they'd like to go and then and then you know wait for us to ask them so most of our friends i guess are pretty like respectful and it's probably kind of thing but and it's probably because it is your house. If you lived in a house and had a boat, they would probably say, let's go out on the boat. But the fact that it's your home probably prevents people or stops people from just coming right out and saying, hey, take us out on your house. Like, like we, you could damage dishes, but I just want to be out on the water. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, it's probably, it's probably a factor for sure. Now, how long have you guys actually lived on the boat? Three years in October. Wow, three years. So you you had a house in California. I watched a few of your videos yep. online. Everyone, if you want to watch Life at Six Knots, it's on YouTube. It's very entertaining. I was I watched a couple episodes just to get prepared to talk to you because this is an exciting interview for me because a lot of the people I've <laughs> had on, I know them. So I don't really know you and you live on a sailboat, which is very exciting to me. So I was, I was like, let me do my homework a little bit, <laughs> but what, that's such a huge adjustment. Not only are you selling your home and moving, but you're selling your home. You're moving to another state to live in basically a tiny house. How does that come to fruition? Um, well, a big, a big part of it was, uh, we have some pretty pushy friends who, well, so back in July of, what, I guess, 2016, we kind of hit a spot in our lives where we were both a little bit in transition. Um, neither one of us was actually working aside from our, you know, side hustle. We were doing wedding photography. 
and we had scheduled um, a visit with our friends who live up in the area, in the Seattle area. And the whole weekend, you know, it was, there was a lot of talk of, okay, well, what are we going to do next? Because, you know, we we're just trying to figure out sort of, okay, all of this stuff just came to an end. So now we got to figure out what's next in our lives. And of course, it was the perfect Pacific Northwest weekend. It was sunny. It was beautiful. Um, we, uh, the friend is a pilot and he flew us up to um, Victoria for the day and we, you know, just hung out on the water and had lunch and just the, the whole weekend it was, well, if you guys moved up here, then we could do this. If you guys moved up here, then we could do that. So on the last day, we were sitting at a restaurant near the harbor on Bainbridge Island and we were watching all the boats coming in and out and my husband just sort of jokingly said, well, you know, we could uh, buy a boat and live in a marina if we moved up here. And we all we both just sort of stopped and went, huh, that's an idea. We had 15 hours worth of driving back to California to think of a reason why not. And we couldn't think of anything. So we got back. We scheduled a sailing lesson because neither of us had ever been sailing before. Um, we grew up on kind of fishing boats with our family. Uh, we listed our house for sale, started selling all of our stuff. And by the end of September, we were boat shopping. Was Were the two, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm sorry, were the two together like boat and Seattle? Like, was there ever an option? Let's just move to Seattle and live in a house. Or it was Seattle and a boat or we're not doing it at all. Um, it, it never really... We never really stopped to separate the two, I don't think. Oh, okay. I mean, the boat was kind of the fun adventure part of it. And, um, you know, we loved the area. I, my, my dad's side of the family grew up, um, up in Squim. I don't know if you're familiar with the area, but it's kind of on the Olympic Peninsula. And so I went up there for family reunions every year. So I've always loved the Pacific Northwest and, you know, our friends were there. I don't think they were going to let us get away with, you know, changing the location, but, yeah, the boat was, I don't know, we just, we were ready for an adventure. We'd done the, the nine to five with the house in the suburbs and the standard American dream style life. And we decided we didn't really love that. And it wasn't really making us happy, you know, even when it was working out. And we were just kind of ready to try something a little different, slow down a little bit. Well, and I think a lot of people want to have that because it's very brave. It's, it's a, th it takes balls to say, we're going to sell our house. We're going to sell every, most of our stuff. We're going to put the rest in storage. We're going to go live on a sailboat. People dream about that. People have fantasies like myself. I have that fantasy where, oh, I want to, but I also want to be a writer in the mountains. So maybe mountains and boat, but not many people do this. So when, when somebody sees you or hears your story, they're like, I wish I could do that. I wonder if there's anyone, you know, that has made a drastic change in their life since you and your husband have? Like as a result of yeah, talking like, to us? Or like, do you have any friends who saw what you guys did and said, hell, I can, we're going to do, we're doing that. We're, we're doing something drastic. Cause that's drastic. Yeah. Yeah. It's a little drastic. Nobody comes to the top of my head right now. You know, I think that most people aren't really all that comfortable with drastic change like that. But I do think that it, it really, um, inspired a lot of our family and friends to kind of look at what they own, their belongings, and how much they actually need. Oh. Because we've got, you know, we've got a 36 foot sailboat and our storage unit is 10 by 10. Like we don't have things that we don't need really, you know. Um, 
And I think that it really got a lot of people thinking, well, what do I need? Do I need, you know, this 90 mug collection? Do uh, I need right. you know, this garage full of things? Like, what is even in here? What What do I own? Because I don't use, you know, 90% of this stuff most of the time. I think that was probably the biggest impact that our drastic decision had on our friends and family is that they all kind of started thinking about this idea of living a more simple life and living with less stuff. Right. And because so many, we do have, most people have more things than they need. Like, oh, I saved this high school thing because it's just there. But you know, I think right. it's fantastic. So when my husband and I lived in Florida, we we lived in a four bedroom, two bath house. And when we left Florida to move to the California Bay Area, we moved into a one bedroom, mm -hmm. one bath apartment. And we lived in that for seven and a half years. So when mm -hmm. we left Florida, we sold 90% of our furniture. Um, I can remember I had, <laughs> don't judge me, but I had like a 20 year collection of magazines with Madonna on the cover like the gayest thing oh, you could man. ever imagine. Right. <laughs> and I remember collecting them since I was like 18. I had some from like 92, 91. And when we were packing up, he was like, what are you doing with those? I'm like, Oh, they're I'm putting them in a box. He goes, you're, you're going to bring 75 magazines across the country when we're moving <laughs> into a one bedroom apartment. And it really made me, I was like, no, that's stupid. Why would I do that? So I got rid of them <laughs> and it, I thought, oh, well, I've had these things for decades. If I can get rid of those, what else can I get rid of? And then I started throwing all kinds of shit away. I was like, I don't need this. I don't need, I don't need 90 cups, you know? So it's so cathartic. It really is. But at the same time, it's also a very emotional thing. I, I have this theory that we, we keep stuff because we have room for it so that we can avoid the emotional decision of figuring out whether or not we actually want to keep it. It's easier to keep it than it is to get rid of it because then you're thinking, right. oh, my mom gave me this and she passed away and I should hold on to this forever. Right. That I never thought of that. That's right. really smart. Yeah. Whether we realize it or not, our stuff is emotional. I mean, whether it's a gift or it's a, you know, even something you spend a lot of money on, you're like, I don't want to throw this away. I spent a lot of money on that. Right. It's, you know, it's an emotional decision. And that was, a major thing probably for you as well is getting rid of 90% of your stuff that everything reminds you of something and by the time you get to the end of it it's like oh my god I can't do this anymore it's so draining and then once you're living without it you're like oh I didn't need that look I never even go look at those magazines who's gonna look at a 1992 Madonna magazine <laughs> I mean it's ridiculous I um when we moved one of the, my treasured items was a dining room table that was my grandparents. And then my grandparents gave it to my mom. And then when my mom died, I took it and it was beat up. The legs had been chewed on by my grandfather's dog. I mean, this thing was a mess and it was from like the fifties or sixties. And Matt, my husband, Matt was like, we're not taking this. And I remember going through all these grief emotions over a table just like you said. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, I'll yeah. get rid of it, but I want to give it to somebody I know. So it stays in the family. He's like, it's a table. It's not a dog. And yeah. so I got his sister to take it. His sister took it. She was living in an apartment. And then like four years goes by or something. She actually is a travel nurse and she traveled. She put it in storage. I was fine with that because it's still not out there with someone I don't know. So she ended up getting rid of a lot of stuff in storage. And she called me and she said, is it okay if I give away this table? And it was like, 
it was like a crush to my soul. I was like, it was like she was throwing my mom away. I really had to like sit down and say, okay, it's a table. You haven't even had it for years. So yeah, yeah what you're saying, is there stuff that you miss that you've gotten rid of? Is there anything that you got rid of that you're like, oh, you know what? Maybe I should have kept that. I mean, honestly, no. I, I mean, I guess there's a couple of like kitchen gadgets and stuff that every once in a while they're like, damn, I used to have this strawberry chopper or you know, whatever ridiculous thing. I don't know what it is about kitchen gadgets, but we all seem to need every single one of them. And we had a lot of kitchen gadgets. Um, you know, and every once in a while I was like, oh, well, that, that would make things a little bit easier for me. But I also have a knife and two hands. So, you know, I can I can do this just fine. So you can get rid of like four That's, gadgets and you have a knife and you're good. Totally. You know how useful a knife is? Yeah, yeah. It I really know. Works. Not only can you use <laughs> for not, a lot of things. Not only can you cut strawberries, but you could stab somebody if they're trying to break in the boat. I mean, it's perfect. Exactly. It's perfect. Multi-use. Everything on a boat has to serve multiple uses. That's so true. Now, how did you guys know? Because you had no sailing experience. You lived in a bigger house. How do you know? All right, this is what we need. Or are there lots of things? Oh, we got rid of that. We better run to the store because we do need that. There was, a, I mean, there was a lot of adjusting that we had to do. More, more often, though, we found that we didn't need things that we had kept. So, you know, I've got the picture of the boat when we first moved in, and it's completely full of like boxes and totes and things. And, you know, we we put everything away, and we, you know, it's it's a, it's actually a constant um, like reevaluation of what stuff you're using and what stuff you're not using and what stuff you need. And, you know, we just I don't, I don't think there really was anything that I threw away that I decided that I needed later. Wow. That's um, cool. I don't know. Usually, usually it's kitchen stuff. Bro, I mean, it, it always I, goes back to the kitchen stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, we got rid of things like TVs because we could use the laptops and we got rid you know, like all of the rest oh. of that sort of household type stuff. We, you know, it's, so many things can do double duty that you don't need. Right. Right. You know, how long did it take for you? Do you consider yourself to be a sailor? Like, can you take the sailboat out on your own? Do you feel confident after all these years? Um, I do not. Okay. I think, and, and I was actually talking with my husband about this just recently, um, because we are, we're actually spending a little bit of time in California right now. He had a job situation that, that brought us back down here for a little bit. And I said, so we learned to sail on a little lake down here. And I said, we should go rent those boats. And then I can kind of figure, you know, I want to get more comfortable with sailing. And I think part of it is that it is our home. And I feel this sort of like nervousness about messing it up or breaking it or sinking it or, and, mm. and then that probably goes back to, you know, self-confidence. He, he picked up sailing ridiculously quickly and he just like can, you know, it's just it's like second nature to him. But I'm just, you know, I'm a little bit more cautious to ask a few more questions. I mean, and I also don't do it often enough. I think that's part of it. You know, it's like I get more comfortable in the summertime and then, you know, spring and winter, and we take, you know, put the boat away and we don't take it out. And then the next summer, I'm like, dang, I got to relearn all this stuff. Right. So oh, I think yeah, I just, that's true. Yeah. Because I think if you live in a house and have a sailboat as a hobby, then you're taking it out more often, but this is your home. And I can understand the idea of, yeah, I don't want to take my home out and it, with some stupid accident, 
screw up my boat and this is our home. And then if it's at the bottom of, you know, the sound, that's not going to be good. So I understand that completely. Right. So sailing is kind of like, um, I mean, when it's a bigger boat like that, my husband can single hand it. He can sail it by himself, but it's so much easier to have a crew, you know, at least two of us doing it. So, you know, I can do kind of one part or the other fairly well. So you're either working the lines or you're working, you know, the you're steering. And sailing, I don't know if you're familiar is all about, you know, you know, being able to cross over the wind and where the wind is in relation to your sails. So if you have to make a turn, you know, you've got to either tack or drag, depending on which way, you know, the wind is coming. So somebody's got to be working all the lines and somebody's got to be, you know, directing the boat. Now, is he usually so, driving and you're handling the sails or is it the opposite? I'm usually handling the sails. Okay. Yeah. When I go sailing, I have a, I have a friend, he lives in Florida. Actually, when this episode airs, I'm going to be with two friends in the British Virgin Islands on a five night sailing trip on a 41 foot mm -hmm. sailboat. So I'm very excited about that, but I have gone out yeah, on like fun. a, a 22 or a 21 foot, um, Catalina before. And, you know, I, so I've mm -hmm. had experience with the sails. I just think sailing when I'm sailing, I feel like I'm alive. I feel younger. Yeah. I, cause I'm 48. Am I four? Yeah. Oh God. You know, when I say it out loud, it seems <laughs> wrong, but I'm 48, but when I'm on a sailboard or even when I'm camping with my husband, with our camper, I'm climbing all over mm -hmm. things. I feel so young. And then when I come home, I can barely reach the remote. So mm -hmm. I think this, I, I, I believe that it just makes you feel younger too, just being out there. Yeah, it does. And I mean, I think it's, it's just a lot of that is probably the whole fresh air in your lungs concept. I mean, you know, or I mean, especially like for you being on a plane all the time and being in airports and being inside the house and being like being inside, you don't get that fresh air right. as much. And I, I feel like being, and especially being out on the water, something about being out on the water for me, it's just like a whole different kind of fresh air. Yeah. It's like being, it's, it's it like, it's, it's like being alive. It's so awesome. Mm -hmm. Your husband's tall like my husband. Your husband's six four. My husband's six five. In a small uh -huh. um, space like that, how do you manage solo time? Because I know I need time alone. How do you guys manage that? Um, I mean, well, the last year and a half, I was working for the airlines, so that wasn't really so much an issue. But when we are together, so the first basically two years that we lived on the boat we were together 24 7 we were working together living together we were doing wedding photography so we were doing our own we had our own business and it was it was like 24 7 all the time together and i mean we do pretty good we do really well with the constantly together stuff we don't usually fight we don't you know there's not a whole lot of need for that but i mean there is a door that separates our v-birth from the rest of the space so if it's you know, if, if we can't get out, then that's always an option. But it's still, you know, I mean, when you're when you're feeling tense, there's that energy. You just kind of need it to not, it's still a little close quarters if, if we're really, you know, tense. But we also live in a community. Our marina is right in the downtown area. So we can kind of leave the boat and oh, go, cool. you know, grab a coffee or, you know, get a drink with a friend or, you know, go over to another friend's boat or, you know, there's a lot of 
sort of, I mean, that was something that I was kind of worried about when we first started this. What issues do need to be? Right. But yeah. it's, it's not often an issue. And when it is, it's kind of, we, we, we chose a really, a really good marina for that sort of a scenario because we do have places to go and, you know, alternatives for just sitting there and festering. So where your marina is, you can walk to downtown Seattle so you don't even have to drive or because that's pretty awesome. No, we are over on the other side of the sound in Tulsa. Oh, okay. But but our marina is right downtown. Okay. Um, oh, it's right, right there in the in the middle of town. So it's we can walk up to that downtown. Well that's you know, that actually makes a lot of sense to me because I think if you're really far out there where there isn't any place where you can go and stretch your legs. Like I need to, I need to breathe. Cause that would be my worry. You know, I love my husband to death, but I need sometimes maybe I need to just go for a walk or I need to go do something or even in the house. Like he's downstairs in the basement. I'm upstairs. I'm like, this is perfect. Um, so mm -hmm. I was very curious of how you manage that when you live in such a tiny space. So, um, that makes sense to me. Now, do you always see yourself from this point forward living on a boat or living in a small space? Do you ever see yourself going back to, I, oh, we have a four bedroom, two bath house. <laughs> um, you know, we've talked about that and I, I mean, I can't see us ever living in a big house again. If, if we move off of the boat, it'll probably be, you know, maybe not a tiny home, but like I can really see us kind of in some kind of a small cottage type thing, you know, a thousand square feet or something. We always, we know we always want to be close to the water. Mm. So it's, you know, it's not a, not a bad thing considering waterfront property is not exactly, you know, inexpensive, but yeah, we, we don't want to go back to having the space to accumulate so much stuff, you know, like the simplicity of the way that we live on the boat is really appealing to us. And we kind of, you know, and it's also, it's also very, our own, like our closeness and stuff. It's, it's nice to, you know, not have too far apart, but, you know, we can't separate too much. Right. Like it encourages us to spend time together. So, yeah, I, I feel like we'll probably always live in a smaller space. Now, you were a flight attendant. You're not a flight attendant anymore, am I correct? Correct. Now, were you, did you become a flight attendant before you lived on the sailboat or after? After. After. So, um, how long were you a flight attendant and why are you not a flight attendant anymore, may I ask? So, it was about a year and a half. And um, there was, there's a lot of things that went into my leaving the airline. Um, a big part of that was, sort of the future of that airline and some major changes that were taking place there. Mm -hmm. But a bigger part of it is that in November, I sort of got this kind of crazy inkling that I maybe want to fly the planes instead of hanging out in the back serving Coke. Nice. So I have started the process of getting my private pilot's license and with the idea that I want to, you know, be an airline pilot at some point. 
I love that. Now, did you think of being an airline pilot before you worked for the airlines or was it just one of those things where you were sitting in the back serving Cokes and thinking, you know what? I could be flying this damn thing. Um, well, to be entirely honest with you, before I was a flight attendant, um, I mean, several years back, I would say, um, I was actually terrified of flying. Oh. I was one of those people who would sit there and my, you know, white knuckle my uh, armrest during turbulence or any tiny little bump, just terrified that the plane was going to fall out of the sky. The idea of being a pilot was never, you know, never anything that entered my mind, even though my both my dad and my brother are private pilots. Mm-hmm. Um, even playing with them always terrified me. I somehow managed to think it would be a good idea to be a flight attendant. And <laughs> I loved it. I really, <laughs> I really did. Um, you know, it was a lot of fun. I, I, but I love the lifestyle, I think. I, you know, I love waking up in a different city every day. And I love being around people all the time. And I just, it was, it was a lot of fun for me. But yeah, I think there was a point where I realized, well, you know, I could be doing this exact same thing, except. I could be sitting in the front with the nice view and, you know, making some more money. And, but I still sort of, I don't know. I, you know, I was always poking my head in the cockpit and asking the pilots questions. And, you know, I want to know how everything worked and I want to know what everything was. And I wanted to push the buttons and I kind of always had it in the back of my mind that I couldn't do it. Mm-hmm. And then I was talking to one of our pilots one day and, um, I was just, you know, telling him about how, when I was a kid, or not, when I was a kid, when I was in college, and I was away from home for the first time, I'd go and sit at the airport and watch the planes fly in and out, a little regional airport, whenever I'd miss home. And, you know, that I always, I can't not look up when I see a plane in the sky. And you know, I was just going off about my relationship with airplanes, I guess. And he's like, well, it sounds like you should be a pilot. And I literally kind of broke down and started crying because it was just this ridiculous emotional response to his statement and it made sense and it was kind of like like something that had always been picking at me but I hadn't you know stopped to really think well can I do this or not and um yeah I think in that moment it was like wow right this is what I need to be doing I I can do this I could do this and if you wouldn't have become a flight attendant that might not have ever even the idea that you could do it might not have come to you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't even think I would have thought about it. How did you, so I connect with you on the fear of flying. I, I was okay pre nine 11, but then after nine 11, I thought every airplane I was on was going to crash into a building. So I didn't fly a lot and it took me, mm-hmm. Oh, um, it took me a, quite a few years to get over my fear of flying. I was petrified. Like we would fly and I would be crying and my husband would be like, you need, we have, the plane has to turn Joe. So I'm going to settle down, relax a little <laughs> bit. You know, we have to turn left. Yeah. Um, how did you get over the, your fear that planes would fall out of the sky? Um, well, I think it was a combination of things. I, I used to be afraid of everything. You know, I was, I was afraid of talking to people. I was afraid of failing. I was afraid of rejection. I was, you know, I lived my life based on this fear. You know, I spent 10 years at a job that I hated sitting in a desk rotting away because I was afraid that if I left, that I would fail, that I would lose my house, that I would, you know, not be able to make it. And it, it sounds ridiculously, you know, pathetic, I guess, but that was just sort of 
you know, my reality, I guess. And I kind of at some point, I guess, realized that I, I didn't like living that way anymore. So I, you know, started seeing a therapist and started working on not being afraid of life anymore. So that was a big part of it. And also, I, I mean, I love to travel. I mean, do you know a flight attendant who doesn't? But flying is sort of a necessary evil if you want to see the world. So I kind of just stuffed it up and kept doing it. And I still have yet to be on a plane that's falling out of the sky. I know, because you're here on this podcast. I have not, <laughs> I, I haven't had an issue with it either. And I want to go back a few moments. Um, I don't think it sounds pathetic that you talk about the fears that used to control your life. I think we all, I think so many people allow their fears to control them. Um, so I am really mm -hmm. proud and happy for you that you were able to get into therapy and work on that so that you could live a more fulfilling life because there's so many people, there's probably people listening right now who are allowing their fears to control them. Um, like I said, I used to be the first chapter in my first book, um, is called fear is not an option. And it's about how I got over, over my fear of flying. Um, are you still in therapy? Do you still, are you still in therapy? Because I am, which is fantastic, but are you still in therapy or no? I do not go regularly. I usually will call and make an appointment or, you know, do a phone appointment. If something major happens in my life where I'm, I feel like I need to sort of bounce some things off of, of her. So I still, I mean, I'm still in contact with my therapist, but I haven't gone regularly for, I don't know, the last probably four or five years, mm -hmm. but it, it definitely helps to know that, that, you know, she's there. And if I have something like major, you know, that therapy doesn't, necessarily ever end i mean no that growth and sort of the need to talk through what you're going through absolutely i um my husband and i went to therapy for like eight years um, when we lived in florida we went together it was like marriage counseling therapy just so we could actually understand each other because we're so different mm -hmm. we're like opposites at one point early on we've been together 16 years but like 15 14 15 years ago we we're like, God, we don't have anything in common. Are we supposed to be together? Mm -hmm. Let's go talk to someone. So we just went to therapy. And I can remember we told his parents, oh, we're in therapy. And they're like, oh my God, what's wrong? Because <laughs> that's the, the <laughs> thought process. Oh, you're yeah. in therapy. There must be something immediately wrong. No, no, it's okay to talk to a professional. So we, ha we hadn't been in, I haven't been in therapy for like eight years. So in the last like couple of years, there's been things that have happened where I'm like, oh, I should probably work on that. So then um, I just found mm -hmm. a new therapist and I've gone to him twice now. And I, I just think, oh, this is so great. Cause I think we should always be working on ourselves. And to what I, what yeah. you were just saying um, that you call her up, you call your therapist up, she's there when you need her. I call that maintenance. Like if I need to call it, if like I'm yeah. having a problem, I need some maintenance taken care of. Exactly. It's great. I just, I, I, I personally think when I just met this, my new therapist, we sat down and I said to him, I said, I, the first thing I want to say to you is you guys should be millionaires because everyone should be in therapy. And he was like, oh, I think I like this guy. <laughs> like, Don't overcharge. Yeah, I agree though. Yeah, absolutely. Because we all have problems. Yeah. Well, we all, yes, we all have problems, but we all have things that 
we need to work out whether it's from our childhood, whether it's just from mm -hmm. living it's or from the chaos of life. But I think people's egos yeah. get people's egos are so strong. It they say, I can't go talk to it. I'm not going to talk to a therapist. I'm I can handle this on my own. No, yet I don't think right. you can. <laughs> no. Was it just therapy that got you over your fears of like, cause it sounded like you were, you didn't like to, you were afraid of talking to people. What was it about talking with people that you were nervous about? My big thing was that I didn't feel like I was good enough. I mean, that, that sort of was my, my go-to affirmation or my go-to mantra is that I am enough because in my mind, if I went, you know, if I wanted to talk to somebody, I wanted to make a friend, they were already better than me. And so they were going to know that I'm not good enough to be their friend or I'm not good enough to, you know, I'm not smart enough. I'm not, you know, happy enough. I'm not, you know, in, in my mind, I was always a step down from everybody else. And it, it, I was just terrified of being rejected. I was terrified of them seeing that and affirming my idea that I already know in my head that I'm not good enough. And when you have those thoughts, it prevents you from making friends. It prevents you from dating because you're like, why am I, I'm not going to put myself in that predicament. I'm just going to stay in my own bubble. Yeah. I wonder where did the, where did the ideas, where did these ideas that you, when you, that you weren't good enough or you weren't as equal to these people, do you know where those came from? Um, I do. I, I mean, I grew up with an alcoholic father mm. and. Um, he was an alcoholic because his parents had ridiculously high expectations and ideals for him. Um, I, my, my grandmother's pet, pet phrase when I was a kid was that's not very ladylike. So I constantly was feeling like it wasn't okay to be me. I didn't, I didn't want to make any noise. I didn't want to draw attention to myself because I didn't, you know, the, the adults in my life were very critical of all of the things. I mean, not my mom. My mom was always very, very supportive, but um, but her mom too was was a lot on the critical side. And I don't know. I just I I got this idea from the adults in my life at a very young age that it just wasn't okay to be me, and it sort of you know colored the next twenty five years of my life. Right, because our parents are the you know we're, we're supposed to receive positive feedback from them so that as we grow up, mm -hmm. we think I'm smart enough. I'm good enough. I, again, just like your fear of flying, I was raised by alcoholic drug users. Um, I was sexually abused by my stepfather who adopted me. And so I grew up with, you're a wimp, you're a pussy, you know, you're no good. I, and to this day, I don't have the fear. Obviously, I don't have the fears of talking to people. That's the one thing that that actually I love to do. But I still suffer really bad with body self body image issues. Like I look in the mirror mm -hmm. and I'm like, you're the grossest person I've ever seen. And yeah, I had a lot of that too. Yeah, it's like you look in the mirror and you think, I, I, who's going to love me? How can anyone like this? This is disgusting. Like, the, and I still, and I've been married for 16 years. I still say that. I say that to my husband. He's like, you need, I, I, please don't say those things to me because I don't believe that. <laughs> yeah. And you are just putting all these negative thoughts into your head that are nonsense. 
Yeah. My husband says the same thing. He goes, well, then what does that say about my judgment? Right. Because I think you're beautiful. Well, you guys, I saw you guys are both adorable. You're like, I'm like, oh my God, they're even adorable and cute and they live on a sailboat. Why are these people living my life? (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. You're welcome. But, you know, uh, it's so crazy how, you know, a fucked up childhood really does follow you through your entire life. And it really upsets me because I think, you know, because of my parents' bad choices and bad decisions, I'm paying somebody $100 an hour 40 years later. It, it When I think about it like that, it really makes me mad. Yeah. But you know what? I feel, I feel really super fortunate that I was able to find a way to pull out of that because so many people don't. Yes. You know, so many people live their entire lives, um, you know, feeling like they're not good enough and, and making decisions and affecting other people's lives negatively as a result. It's, it's sort of been a big theme in my life lately. Um, you know, people who are hurting hurt other people. Mm-hmm. It's kind of really inspired me to try and find a way to find a way to spread joy and kindness throughout the world. And I don't, I don't, I haven't figured out exactly how to do it. Um, I started by making a beaded bracelet for all 100 female crew members at our airline Mm -hmm. over the winter. It was crazy to see. I mean, like I said, there's some sort of unrest within the company and I did it anonymously. I didn't tell anybody that I was the one leaving the bracelets, but they started posting things on social media and, you know, whispering about it in the crew rooms and I don't know it just made everybody smile and it made them you know happy for even a moment in this sort of tumultuous atmosphere that's going on right now and I don't know it just made me want to take it a step further you know and and that's sort of you know in my writing what I want to accomplish too is just I want to write I write for 10 to 12 year old girls basically and I just kind of want to spread this message that it is okay to be you. And, you know, whatever that means, whether you're, you know, different in some way or, you know, your family looks different than your neighbor's family or whatever it is, it's you are you and that, you know, the world needs every single one of us. Well, you're giving back. I love the fact that you have had this childhood, you have these fears that you've gotten over and now you're on the edge, you're on the other end of it. You're like, I'm glad I got through that. There's people that might not be able to go through that. They're living every light, they're living their day, they're going through the steps, but they probably still have all these feelings because they haven't worked on it. So you want to be kinder to people to let them know they're loved. And that's incredible, Stephanie. Mm -hmm. That's that's above and beyond. Because you could really just be like, I... I, I fixed myself and I'm not going to worry about anything else because I have to keep myself together because there's days where I don't know if you agree with this, but there's days where I feel like I'm going to fall apart. Like I'm put together with glue. The therapy's the glue. Yeah. And there's days where, I mean, if it gets a little windy, I could fall apart. Oh, so, yeah, so sure. it's so, it, it says a lot about you to 
to say, all right, well, I want to push further and I'm going to do something kind for people who are at this airline who, you know, could be struggling, maybe stressed about certain things that are going on. So kudos to you. That's incredible. Thanks. You're welcome. I just wish I could figure out what to do to take it, you know, outside of the airline and out into the real world and, you know. Well, you said you write for, let's talk about that because uh, you know, I love writing. You, um, you write right. for 12 year old girls. Is it nonfiction? Is it fiction? Is it like, you know, you, you can be whatever you want to be type of stuff. Like, can you explain it to me? So I have published nothing yet, but I am writing a, a novel. Yeah. For considered middle grade fiction, so 10 to 12 year old girls. And yeah, the theme is basically, you know, I've got two main characters and they're both sort of in these places in life where they feel very lonely based on their, um, you know, their, their individual circumstances. You know, I kind of wanted to touch on the theme of, you know, that you're never truly alone. You know, have kindness in your heart. If you're kind to others, others will be kind to you. If you, you know, if you can connect with other people, then, sorry, I'm having a hard time spitting it out. That's okay. <laughs> um, it's okay. Take your time. But just basically, yeah, yeah these themes of, of kindness and of connecting with others and, um, you know, not judging other people, that there's, that everybody is living, you know, you don't, you don't ever see the full story. So when you're kind to others, it makes others, you know, in turn, others are kind back or they're kind, you know, it, it passes on. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, it totally makes sense. You know, I used to see this meme and or this story on social media years ago, I don't know how much truth there was to it, but I don't even know if it was important about the truth. I think it was just the message that was this message of I was going to commit suicide today, but a stranger said hi to me on the street and it made me feel loved and important and I didn't kill myself. And whether it's a true statement or not, I, I do believe that that there are I'm sure that situation happens daily. And, mm -hmm. um, so being kind to a stranger, being kind, you never know. I always, when I work on the airplane, I always think I hate being the lead flight attendant. Cause I don't like boarding at all. I think it's the worst part of my job. Mm -hmm. I would hand out Cokes all day long. Um, but when people are yeah. coming on the plane and they're, they have an attitude, they're mad. I always try to remind myself, you do not know what this person has gone through today. You, Joe, are lucky. Right. You get to go through known crew member. You don't have to deal with that bullshit TSA. You can bring as many, you can bring 10 <laughs> yep. gallons of water through if you want. You know, you, yep. you know, you're getting a, you're getting us a ride to the airport and to the hotel. You're fine. You know, I don't know what that person's going through. That person could have lost someone. They could be suffering from depression. You don't know. So I always yeah. have, and it's hard too, because sometimes somebody will come on and I'm like, what an asshole this person is. But then I'm like, you know what, Joe, go be extra kind to them. So I actually do this thing where if somebody's an asshole to me, I will, if they buy liquor, I will buy it for them. It's this thing that I mm -hmm. do where like, say you come up and you're like, oh my God, rah, 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 rah. And I'm like, oh, I apologize for that. You know, let me turn down the heat. I'm sorry. Or let me make it warmer. But if they attack me when I go through service, if they order like a wine or a drink, I say, you know what? That's on me today. Because I feel, I, I believe that, like you said, get them with kindness, make them, you know, maybe that one moment they like, oh God, you know what? I was being a little harsh today and I was taking out my frustrations. <clears throat> 
on this flight attendant who is just trying to get from point A to point B. Yeah. Yeah, it was the opposite, though. I, I always loved boarding because I felt like people within our airline called me oftentimes the ray of fucking sunshine because <laughs> I was always happy, always smiling, always like, you know, I'd be dancing to the boarding music. And it, I feel like it really set the tone for the whole flight. Oh, absolutely. Because when you walk onto a plane and you've got this person who's just bubbly and happy and nice and saying, you know, good morning, how are you, talking to you, you know, then I feel like it makes people relax. And it made them, it, like, it set the tone for the whole flight because now you've been greeted by this, you know, bubbly, warm thing. And it's like, oh, okay, well, yeah, I'd be happy today. Right. Well, I do believe the lead flight attendant sets the tone for the flight. And mm -hmm. what I don't like about boarding, I'm a very, I don't know if you can tell I'm a people person. You know, I'd say that I hate people. <laughs> I have a t-shirt that says I hate people, but I just love chatting with people. Um, I, what I don't like about being the lead flight attendant is I don't like dealing with the gate agents. I don't like the paperwork. I don't like mm -hmm. all that stuff. But I love chatting with people. If I'm like in the mid cabin, I'm helping with bags. Oh, look at that. Da, da, da. Um, so I understand that. That makes me laugh that you're the ray of fucking sunshine at your airline. <laughs> Do you miss, do you miss now that you're in this break period of not being a flight attendant and working towards becoming a pilot? Do, are you having withdrawals? Do you miss being on the airplane? I do. I really, I really do actually. And I kind of have to take a step back and look at sort of my decision. I, I mean, I had been, I was working at a regional and, you know, as, as a regional flight attendant, always applying for main lines and you know, interviewing and things. And I found that I was, I was going to these interviews. I mean, I was flying across the country to interview with airlines and I'd get there and I'd be in the middle of it. And I'd be like, I don't, I don't want this. Mm. And I have this, I have this, I have this like theory that when you're in those airline interviews, they can somehow read your mind. <laughs> um, I, there's some know. truth to that. There's some truth to that. They know because Every time I've gone into one of those interviews and been thinking, oh my God, I don't want to do this. I don't get the, I don't get offered the job. So, you know, it's, it's, I, I've been well aware the last several months that it's just, I, I need to move on and I need to, I need to fly. And it's as much as I love it, as much as I really, really enjoy being a flight attendant, I, I just think it's not what I'm supposed to be doing. Oh, I love that. I love that you realize, I don't know how old you are, but I love that you realize what that's not what you should be doing. You should be doing something else because so many people spend so many years of their life doing something, spinning their wheels, and they don't ever have that moment where they're like, oh, wait a minute, I shouldn't be doing this. I'm going to change everything so I can go on the path that I need to be on. Yeah, that's something that I kind of promised myself when I realized. So I've been working basically for my family's business for 10 years, um, the desk job. And when I was finally able to break free from that, I promised myself I would not spend any more of my life in any kind of a situation, whether it's a job or a relationship or, you know, a living situation that did not make me happy and that did not feel like me. And 
you know, that was sort of a part of that decision that even though I loved being a flight attendant, I probably could have been a flight attendant for the rest of my life. It just wasn't it. So now that you're on this path to become a pilot, because it's a lot of work. You've got to get your private pilot's license. Then you're probably going to end up working for a regional again. I think you have to be some type of flight instructor. It sounds like I'm too old for it. I want to be a (laughs) helicopter pilot. I'm too old for that too, I think. Um, Do you have it all laid out? Do you know what your game plan is? Um, I, yeah, kind of. It's, uh, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of work. It's also a lot of money. Mm, Um, so I am working on the financing and just kind of getting a part-time job to pay for flight lessons right now. So you get kind of broken up into chunks. So you get your private pilot's license and you have to get an instrument rating. You have to get a commercial rating, um, multi-engine. You can either do the flight instruction or not. Um, But once you are like a commercial pilot and you have all the ratings, you have to get 1,500 hours worth of flight time. It doesn't have to be paid. It doesn't have to be, um, you know, anything specific. You just have to fly for 1,500 hours before you can start at a regional. Oh, okay. And that, and 1,500 hours doesn't sound like a lot, but... It is. I think if they're, you know, normal people, yeah, that sounds like a lot. That's a long, that's a lot of years. I think what have you like calculated out how many years it would take you to get the 1500. So I, I am 36 right now and okay. my hope and goal is to be at a regional by the time I'm 40. Okay. My younger brother, like I said, is a private pilot. He said that's probably more than I need, but that's just sort of my aim. Would you go back to the airline you were a flight attendant at to apply? I really liked a lot of things about the airline that I worked for. But like I said, there was some sort of questionable, like the future of that airline is not at this point known. And there's actually a lot of people, a lot of people are jumping ship. A lot of pilots left to go to airlines that they wouldn't have chosen if it weren't for the sort of insecurity of, the airline that I was working at, but if they kind of pick things back up and, you know, figure right. it out, then yeah, I would, I'd consider it. Did you leave being, so you left being a flight attendant before you really got full time into your, be, getting your hours of pilot, of becoming a pilot. Do you, kind do you regret that at all? Do you think you should have hung around a little while longer? I don't know. I don't. I had, a, I had a pilot friend who told me that the one thing that would get in the way of my becoming a pilot is my job as a flight attendant. And partly I think it's because it's kind of like having one foot in the door. Like I said, it's a lifestyle and it's, you know, it's fun. It's, it's, it's a big part of the draw. But it's also that lifestyle makes it difficult to do anything else. Right. So, you know, in, in uh, learning to fly, you should be, you know, flying at least once a week. You know, they say at least once, as many times a week as you can, because it's cumulative knowledge. And, to, you know, more you can practice it and use what you're learning and, you know, building upon what you've just done, the better it'll be and the easier it'll be and the more it'll make sense. And, I mean, you know what a flight attendant schedule is like. It's not easy to, you know, say, okay, well, I'm going to fly, you know, this day and this day, this week. but Next week, I can't fly at all. 
it's, it's tough. It's tough to do that and do anything else. Well, and when you're at a job, uh, if you're at a job that you might, it's okay, you know, oh, I'm not passionate about this job. You know, it is what it is. It pays me. You're going to be comfortable mm -hmm. and you're not going to make a big, huge change if you're comfortable in your job, right? So like if I wanted to say, exactly. you know, I'm going to become a pilot, it's probably going to be made more sluggish because, well, I already have a job and I'm already in the airplane and I'm already at the hotels. Why, why am I putting myself through this? It's sometimes you have to make a huge jolt in your life to get jump over into that next phase. Exactly. And my life seems to be about those big jolts. <laughs> yes. And I was just going to say, I don't know if you realize how brave and strong you are. I bet you years ago, you didn't think you were, but honey, you are very impressed. I am very impressed by you because you just make these huge fucking decisions, these huge things that people would be so afraid to do and you make it work. So there's no doubt in my mind that you're not going to be a pilot. Like I'm just hoping I'm still a flight attendant and you work at my airline so we can fly together. Totally. Yeah. After but I'm 40, I got, I got another 25 years before I have to legally retire. So I'll be there. I want to retire at 50, if I can't figure out how to be a flight attendant at home, by the time I'm 50, I'm retiring because I can't do it anymore. I'm too exhausted. <laughs> I, um, you know, I love going to when I, I shouldn't say I love going to work. I actually hate going to work. What I like mm -hmm. to do once I'm there, it's so weird. Um, once I'm at the airport, like once I get from my house to the airport and I walk in the airport, it's like, Flight attendant joke kicks in and I'm like, all right, it's time to go on the airplane. It's time to serve nuts. It's time to be away from home and I'm good and everything's okay. And then I'm fine, but I definitely don't love being a flight attendant. I love sitting in this chair talking to you on the microphone. That's where my passion is. <laughs> so do I need to quit my job? Do I need that big jolt so that I can make this my bread and butter? That's a good question, huh? You might. I don't know. I'm talking to the expert of this. You're supposed to be my therapist. <laughs> I don't know. I say I say this every episode, but this is my therapy. So <laughs> I expect you people to help me. No, I'm just kidding. But you are the expert at that. Like the you are the person that would say, yes, if you want to make something happen, you're gonna have to make a big change. Well, I would say you need to look at what's keeping you from achieving what you want. Is your job keeping you from it or are you actually doing it? Um, because we all got to start somewhere, right? right. You right. don't just start off and be like, bam, I'm super successful at what I just started. Right. Thank you. Some truth being laid on me. I, that's what I need to know. <laughs> you know, um, I don't expect things to happen right away. I do have the, the, um, the no, the knowledge that, you know, it takes time, you know, you have to work really hard and stuff like that. But then on, but then I'll wake up another day and say, Oh, do I really want to work? I'm, I'm 48. I'm almost 50. I should be starting to wind down, wind down my, my careers and my life and getting ready to enjoy my retirement. My husband's like, you're insane. You're only 48 settle down. <laughs> but you know, I think of that too, but when I talk to you, I get all my heart races and I get all this adrenaline thinking I can do anything I want. Stephanie does what she wants. She makes a decision and she fucking does it. 
oh, I got to calm down a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. Because when you get that fire in your belly, that's what makes you act. That's, that's what makes you do things. Right. It is. And the, you know, there's got to get a little angry. You got to get a little fired up. Got to get a little pissed off. I, and there's people sitting here. I bet you there's people listening to this episode, sitting at their desk. They're like, I fucking hate my job. I wish I could do XXX. And then they're going to hear you saying, yeah, we sold our house and all our shit and moved on a sailboat because we wanted to. And they're going to be like, that's it. I'm making a big change. So that's pretty exciting. I think. Yeah. That's very exciting. And, and you know what, that's, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Like, I love the idea of being able to use my experiences, you know, my pain, my joys, my, you know, whatever, and help somebody else to, to have, make their best life. You know, that's all that I want. Because I feel, I am proud of my journey. I am so proud of the transition between, you know, the girl who sat alone in her apartment listening to the Disney Channel because nothing more sad and somebody not getting invited to prom ever happens on the Disney Channel. And I needed some sort of, you know, positivity in my life to this point here where I just, I feel like I do love my life. I mean, and I, I love living on a boat. I love working for an airline. I love that I'm learning to fly. I love, you know, being able to share all of that with other people and, and being able to say, hey, look, that girl there, she's here now. And if I can do it, then anybody can do it. I mean, it's hard. Don't get me wrong. It's hard-ass work. But, you know, it's possible if you want it enough. It's possible, and you're doing it, and it's like you're bringing – I feel like I'm at church. You should be – you should add <laughs> preacher. You know, wedding <laughs> photographer, flight attendant, future pilot – living on a sailboat preacher because you've got me ready to make big changes. I'm going to run downstairs and be like, we're moving. We're moving. My husband's going to be like, settle down. <laughs> but I love that, you know, and the thing is you have control and power now, you know, when we're kids and we're in bad situations and our parents are shitty and, you know, we have our fears and our, our hangups that we, that hold us back. Once we have power over that stuff and over our fears, it's like we're reborn. That's how, when my mom died, yeah. my mom died when I was 30. And I say this and people think I'm a horrible person sometimes, but when my mom died because she wasn't the best mom in the world, I felt like I was reborn. And so my first 30 years were very, very chaotic and stressful. And I wouldn't wish them on people, but the last 18 years have been incredible. It's because I have the power now, like that song, you've yeah. got the power. Well, and I feel like for me too, it was a, it was almost like a light switch. So I, like I said, I was talking to my parents and for the first time in my entire life, both personally and professionally, I stood up for myself, my dad. And that was sort of the light switch moment where I realized that I didn't need to be afraid, that I could do anything that I wanted, that it doesn't have to be like this and that it's all going to be okay. You know, for me, that was the big thing is, can I do this? Can I succeed at this? And, you know, will it be okay if I don't? But it's always going to be okay. You know, if you quit your job and go to full-time podcasting and it doesn't work out, it's going to be okay. You'll find something else. Life goes on. And it, you know, it's your decision what you're going to do and whether you're going to be happy. You can sit around and waste your life or you can get up, try some shit 
and see if it works. Yeah, because what's the worst that's going to happen? Oops, you have to get a different job. You're fine. Everything's going to be fine, but you're not going to get anywhere if you're not trying and and just being brave and doing shit like you just said. Right. How how's this? Now I want to get back into this book that you're writing. Um, how's that going? And did you were you a writer before you lived on the sailboat, or did that come while you were on the sailboat? I have. I don't know. I mean, you're a writer, so you, you probably get this. I, I, I've always been a writer. Um, it's always just been something that I felt like was inside of me, that was a part of me. I am not a very good writer in that I, that's sort of where my self-doubt lives these days. I'm, I'm fairly certain that I'm not a good writer and I'm not good in the sense that I don't write every day. I don't, I don't know. It's like the most, vulnerable thing to do to put your thoughts, feelings, you know, hopes, dreams, characters on paper and send them out into the world. And it's, that's where I'm still very, I'm still working on my own self-worth there. (laughs) Yeah. Well, no, that, and that makes sense. Writing is actually scary because if you're honest and you're, and you're writing honestly, you know, you'll write out some stuff that you might think, God, I don't know if I want people to read that. Or, you know, the biggest fear when you're a, for me, when I published my first book was I love this book. And when I read it, I think it's funny and I think it's great. But once it's published, it's going to be open for everyone to judge. And that's the scary part. That's the part where it's like, I keep a journal. Um, you know, I think, um, I love my writing, but once, once people can dissect it and tear it apart, which they will, because people are people and leave awful Mm -hmm. Amazon reviews and things like that. You know, that's the scariest part. And then once you make that big leap and then you say, well, I don't give a fuck what, you know, you write a book and see how easy it is. Once you write a book, then you can talk shit about (laughs) me. And that's how I got through that. I was like, I would read some comments on Amazon, some like two or three stars. And I would be like, did you write a book? No, settle down, move, keep moving on. Like, but I'm excited to think that you are in this process of writing this book because I think it'll be great because it's going to come from your soul and from your, from your heart. And you're writing this to help preteens. And I just think it's so imperative that you do get that done. I, I, I know I need to, I am, I mean, I'm on my third draft. So I'm, you know, I'm moving forward, but yeah. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm having problems, I think, getting the right kind of feedback because it is a younger age group. It's not like I can just send it to, you know, all these women that I know and they can be like, oh yeah, that's a great love story. Um, right. But so it's hard to, it's hard to get really good feedback, I think, for me. And so I'm kind of just going, um, I have a, I have a girlfriend who has a couple of daughters who are right around that age group. So I'm going to have them read it after I'm done with this next draft and just kind of see where where we're at. But yeah, it's sort of, I don't know, it's a work in progress. And I think there's also some amount of it where I feel like it's so important to get this message across. And I'm, I think I'm having fear that I'm not, it's not coming out right. You know what I mean? Oh no, I understand. Like I want it to be, helpful and I want it to say what I'm trying to say and I have all this like stuff that I expect out of it and I think it's just I mean it's getting there it's, it's getting there it's just 
um, I think it's a lot of just, like I just said, fear. I, I mean, I'm not perfect. I haven't fixed it all. No. I, well, hey, <laughs> Like you said, we're always working. We're always working. On, I, you know, Oprah once said something about you spend your life work. You should be spending your life educating yourself, working on yourself, trying to be a better person. So I don't think we ever reach that. If you're sitting on your sofa and you think, no, I'm perfect. I'm good. I don't need anything. I don't believe you. No, and you're probably somewhat of an ass. <laughs> probably. Stephanie, what a great conversation. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for calling in. This was like a therapy session yeah. for me. How should I Venmo you or PayPal you? <laughs> Well, uh, you know, PayPal's fine either PayPal's way. PayPal's good. All right, before <laughs> I let you go, though, I want you to play. I want to play my game. Let's get grounded, where I ask you a question and you answer it. So I'm going to have you pick an airline, and I'm going to go through six of them: American Airlines, Delta, Frontier, JetBlue, Spirit, or United Airlines. Let's go, JetBlue. JetBlue. All right. On a flight from Los Angeles to Sydney, if you could sit next to any famous person, dead or alive, who would it be and why? I haven't like thought of this one in a long time. I mean, I you know, there's the who would you invite to dinner question, right. but it's a good question. My husband came up with this one. I have to give him credit. Mm -hmm. That's a long flight. I know, so it better be somebody mm -hmm. good. <laughs> there you go. No pressure. <laughs> I would have to maybe at the phase of my life that I'm currently in, I'd have to say Amelia Earhart. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. And that's so perfect because that is where you are right now. You'd want to talk to somebody who right. was a pilot. Yeah, that's awesome. I like that. That's a good answer. Yeah. I'd want to talk flying, but I'd also want to talk, you know, like sort of doing things that people don't expect and that, you know, breaking through these. You know, she broke through so many barriers and so many, you know, expectations. Yeah, that's uh, I think that's something that we all strive for. You know, like you're saying, we all have these big dreams and things that we want to do. And, you know, it's half the battle is getting out of your own head and getting outside of, um, you know, expectations and other people's beliefs and pressures and just sort of saying, this is me. This is what I want. This is what's important. And I'm going to do it and go for it because I'm living my life. And nobody else is. That's right. That's awesome. And you could also tell her, don't take that round the world flight. It's not going to end well. Yeah, don't. You're going to end up stranded on an island being eaten by crabs. I think that's what they decided. <laughs> do it. Yeah, I think that's what they decided. Stephanie, thank you so much. Ladies and gentlemen, follow her on um, Instagram. Write her on a boat. She's going places. She's writing books. She's becoming a pilot. Incredible. You can also check out um, her and her husband's YouTube channel, Life at Six Knots. Anything else that people need to know? I did start a new blog, a new kindness blog called Spread Joy Further. So I, that's kind of going to be my first step with this whole saving the world with kindness thing that I want to do. Spreadjoyfurther.com. Is that correct? Um, it's dot blogspot.com. Dot blogspot.com. Perfect. Thank you yep. so much, Stephanie. I can't wait to see yeah, the great you, things that happen for you. You're awesome. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed this week's episode of Grounded with Flight Attendant Joe, please subscribe to the podcast. You'll get alerts when new episodes air. 
Also check out Flight Attendant Joe on Facebook and Instagram. And if you still haven't had enough of me, (laughs) check out the blog at www.flightattendantjoe.com.